Hello everyone, this is your host Manoj Tandon and welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Kenneth Ellington join us. He's got a heck of a background. Uh, you know, Kenneth is a senior cybersecurity consultant at EY uh, and he specializes in SIM and SOAR and we'll get into that a little bit later here. He is also the founder and owner of Ellington Cyber Academy an e-learning platform that teaches and trains people on how to use various SIM and SOAR technologies so that they can transition or upskill themselves in their career, which is a very noble goal. On top of that, Kenneth is also a part-time associate cybersecurity instructor at the University of Huston and a cybersecurity trainer at Blacks in Cybersecurity. Welcome to the show. How are you Thank doing you. today, Kenneth? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's kind of cold outside for Dallas, but um, other than that, everything's been pretty good so far. Oh, so you're down south in Dallas, so tell me what cold is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm... Guys. So I grew up in Tampa, Florida, so oh, our winters were like, if I ever drop below 50 degrees, people start freaking out and putting on like winter coats, snow boots. Um, so for the past week, it's been like in the 50s and 40s. Um, so to yeah, me, that's, that's cold. A... Well, that's a nice spring day in our neck of the woods. So, uh, you know, I'm up here in Pittsburgh and uh, the northeast, <laughs> <laughs> northeast 50s. Man, that that's a that's a good day. You can go out in a T-shirt. That's not sweater or hoodie weather. That's that's cool. <laughs> um, so but you grew up in Tampa, so I can see how Dallas you could see Dallas being a little cold. Makes sense. Yeah, still trying to get used to it. It's still a work in progress. <laughs> when did you get there, by the way? When did you get to Dallas? So I graduated in 2020 um, from USF, and I moved about nine months after. So like late winter of 2021. So I've been here for about almost two years now. Not like Florida? Seems like a nice place to live. A lot of people would be like, Tampa's a good, good town. Why? Um, well, I moved because they gave me a job offer for my old company. Um, okay. They paid me a good sum of money. So I'm like, ah, I'll move. You know what? Th that's motivation. I guess that, that's a, and that's a good reason. Um, I didn't know if you had done that just because you thought Dallas would be a good place to be. Uh, so uh, thanks for sharing. Uh, so let's, you know, in, in fact, uh, we, we talked uh, just briefly here about you got started in Tampa. Uh, but I understand that you were in the deli business at one time. And yes. that's and now you're uh, in cybersecurity, which is interesting enough in and of itself. But since we are in the holiday season, I can't resist asking you, do you have a sandwich recipe or an idea that you can share with our listeners that they can make themselves over the holidays? That would be great. Well, my favorite sandwich, and this is probably most true for most people that, that um, go to Publix in the South, is the chicken tender sub. So what we normally do is okay. um, I like I like to toss mine with like chipotle gourmets, which is like a spicy chipotle sauce. Um, mm, I add nice. salt and pepper, lettuce, onions, green peppers, and then we toast it with butter on top of it. So as long as you can fry the tenders, and you can probably make the recipe at home. That's pretty cool. That sounds good. Now, when you're making the spicy sauce, are you using jalapenos, habaneros, or how spicy is spicy? I mean. It's not not too spicy in my opinion, but um, I'm used to eating spicy food. Um, so they gave us like we use like the Boar's Head Chipotle Gourmets that comes okay. from Boar's Head. Um, so it's not like overly 
um, overbearing. I guess a, a follow-up to that, this is just more of a curiosity from someone who's been in the business, is the how important are the ingredients? Like from a, if you buy the ingredients at your local deli versus buying them at your local grocer versus going to uh, a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or something like that, is there is there a difference there? From someone yes, there is. Um, quality is super important. So one of the reasons why I hate sh- shopping at Walmart, um, among <laughs> other things. Um, so it does matter a lot where you go to shop, especially for like actual Whole Foods. Um, so normally I try to stick at like Publix or Whole Foods for my ingredients because they're normally pretty high quality. So if you use like crappy ingredients, you're going to get like a crappy product. Um, so normally the more you pay, the better it will taste. Not always, but in most cases. Well, I guess that uh, advice that could apply to a lot of different things in life, generally speaking, right? If you, you don't have a... <laughs> You don't have quality in, you're going to get garbage out. I, I, and that can be um, an umpteen number of things. You appear to be very interested in educating others. Yes. Where does that passion come from? Is there a story behind that's driving that? Uh, so I would say it's a lot of factors. Um, one big illness is probably my father. Um, so my family is from Jamaica originally, so they didn't have much growing up. Um, so for me, like, always see my dad work hard, but always being happy when he came home was, like, a big influence on me. So, like, just giving back towards people, especially people that look like me. For historical reasons, we've been denied those opportunities. So, trying, just trying to, like, bridge that gap as much as I can. Um, also that, I think, in my opinion, most teachers are... From my experience, most teachers aren't that good. Because, um, for me, if you think about it, I don't remember, like, majority of my teachers, like, throughout high school or middle school, right? Um, they don't have that big of an influence on me. That could be for various amount of reasons, but I want to be that one teacher that they'll remember me twenty years down the lo- twenty years like down the line. So I always just try and do my best, trying to make it as organized as possible, trying to leave like a big impact on their lives is super important to me. What characteristics do you have to bring into your style of teaching to you think that that allows you to leave that kind of an impression, where a lot of the field is not, many teachers are just not doing that, those things. I would say you have to be empathetic and um, empathetic, passionate, and understanding, and patient. Um, patient probably being the biggest thing, right? If you've been, you worked in cybersecurity, you know, there are people that are just good engineers, right? And they're just good engineers, right? They can't explain yep. anything towards their client. They'll freak out if the client doesn't understand it. It'll curse them out, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so same thing with teaching, right? If your student doesn't understand anything, you can't like slap them across the face and say, don't do that again, right? That's not going to work. You have to be understanding. Put, put yourself in your shoes. You were, you were once them, right, years ago. So understand that they may not get it get it at the first time, the second time, or the tenth time. You have to keep at it. Be understanding of what the situation is. Um, and just keep going at it and try to explain in different ways until they understand it, which may take a day. It may take a month. may take a year. Doesn't matter, right? You just have to be with them and keep going on. So, conversely, Kenneth, is there, um, what's the role of the student there? Is is there a way to be a good student as well? Yeah, um, there are things I try to I tell my students. Um, for them, I also try to tell them be patient, right? Um, understand the material that you're studying. Um, make sure you actually look over it before you ask a question. A lot of times. You may give them something, they may skim over it, and they may ask a question that they could have answered themselves. Um, 
Another big thing I would say is if you're in a group setting like I normally do my students, I would probably tell them to like work with your groups first and before you come to me. Because again, like if I give you the answer, right, you're not going to learn anything, right? But right. if you ask one of your friends or your, your peer groups, right, you're more likely to gain more knowledge from that because their perspective is probably closer to yours than mine's is, right, because I'm more advanced. Um, so those are some of the things I try to tell my students to be on the lookout for. So are you teaching to a test or are you teaching to a concept? I, I guess for lack of a better term there. I would say um, more concepts, more hands-on. Um, like our, my training stuff, you can't take the exam afterwards. It's not specifically designed like verbatim, like 100%, but it's pretty similar. So if you want to do that, you are able to, but I try to teach them like actual on-the-job stuff. So when they get there for a security job or tech job, they're not like freaking out, like, holy crap, I don't understand anything that's going on, right? Um, so try to make it as realistic as possible. Um, so sometimes there may be a little confusion as to why that's why I'm doing this, but I try to remind them, hey, this is stuff This is stuff I've done in my career, right? So I try to bring it towards the classroom in that sense. Can you give some examples of ideas there that that you may have shared with your students that they're not going to get in, in college or some other program? So one of the things we um, I try to do is I bring in I bring a different hiring managers, right, for my capstone assignments for my students. Um, that was one of the things, even though I spent like, I think thirty to forty thousand dollars at USF. I never really got in my classes, right? So I give some real world experience of actually presenting in front of a hiring board or a panel of managers, right? Because most college classes, you're not gonna get that experience, right? Especially for cybersecurity. Yeah. Um. So the presentation and soft skills that people, I think, a lot of times they want to gloss over, right? Everyone wants to be like a hacker in a hoodie, um, or get the launch codes for like Russia or something. Right. Um, that's not. <laughs> I, that's not how it normally works for most security jobs. Um, so I try to stress the importance of being able to explain your point, um, being able to explain what you're trying to get out of it, setting the stage. Um, those are very important things. And when people don't understand that cybersecurity, unless you're like a consultant like me, you normally cost your firm money, right? Cybersecurity is like kind of the fire department for a city. Um, it's important because if you don't have a fire department and the city burns down, then things aren't going to go well, right? Right. Um, it's, but it costs money, but it's still important. Same with cybersecurity, right? Um, so I try to stress that importance towards them. You need, to, you need to properly explain why this tool is going to cost the firm $2 million, right? You just can't say to defend everything. Your, your boss can be like, okay, but how does that help us, right? If you can't explain that, then you're not going to get the budget, and then it's going to happen. Then you're going to get blamed, and you're, you're going to lose your job, right? So being able to have those soft skills and be able to properly explain things is incredibly important, in my opinion. Oh, I think... Um... That, that's been something that I've been critical of in past episodes of this program where, where we've had various guests on that a lot of times the disconnect that's happening in getting the right budgets procured or getting the right things done in a company is not really even a lack of desire on the part of the executive team. It's It lies, some of it lies in, with our own colleagues where they're not able to explain in business terms why various aspects of the program are needed. And if you're not able to put your thoughts in those terms, and it's very hard to get the necessary funding, resources, and whatnot to to do whatever it is that you are wanting to do in the program. So Yeah, that's something I've seen throughout my career. Um, so I've been trying to like push that strongly inside 
just that yeah those those soft skills are are immensely important and, and one thing that i would i would put out to our listeners out there is uh, one soft skill that gets underrated is your ability to write uh, i think you know that ability to communicate in brevity in in a format that m- people who are not in the business are going to be able to understand is going to have a factor on on one success. When you were in college, I, I guess let's let's go back a little bit. Um, how? Why cybersecurity? How how did this happen? Because I understand, you know, you have a little bit of a background. You did a minor in business. You were uh, in computer science. Why cyber and not as opposed to going into coding or working at Google or Microsoft in a more development capacity. I just curious, uh, please. <laughs> um, I'll, so I spread there at the beginning. Um, so originally, um, my dad's a software engineer. He's been for the past like 25 years. Right. Okay. Um, so he tried to make me do, we tried to, he didn't like force me, but he strongly pushed me and brother to try to do programming, okay. um, throughout high school and college. So originally like back in high school, I think I was like, a freshman this was like one summer he asked me to do like a cold academy course i did it and i thought it was like the lamest thing ever i told him i'm like dad so you type in the keyboard and you make numbers pop up and this program is wrong people pay you thousand dollars to do that i'm like that's the dumbest thing ever why would it why would anyone ever want to do that so i didn't do programming okay. um i did business um when i graduated from high school um and then fast forward um two years get my association from hcc and i go to usf right Yep. Um, I, I started in business management, but I thought I want to kind of specialize and do something a little more specific. My dad's like, why not IT? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, it's a great idea. And so that's how I kind of got back into um, IT. And then fast forward another um, two months. Yeah, so 2018, that summer, of working at Publix, I let, I let everyone know that I want to do IT or cybersecurity. Um, but... So one, so one of the big things we try to tell people, let people know what your passions are and your di- desires so they can speak beh- right. on your behalf when you're not in the room. So that's what I did. And then my store manager comes to me, Lori. She's like, hey, Kenneth, um, the director of cybersecurity at Publix is going to come in our store um, next week. You want to meet him? I'm like, oh, yes, wow. please. So, I'm like, yes. Um, so she set up a meeting with him. I named Rick Rampola. Um, So he sat me down. Um, I told him what I wanted to do. And he, he's like, hey, Kenneth, have you thought about cybersecurity at Publix? I'm like, I thought we just sold groceries. I know he did cybersecurity. Um, so Rick gave me like um, step-by-step instructions of what he want, what what he expected from me. Because the internship team got filled up during that summer, but there's gonna be a spot on the team next year. And he told me he's like, Kenneth, if you can do all these things in the list, I can almost guarantee you a spot on my internship team next year." Um, fast forward nine months, I do everything I tell him to do, and I get the job at Publix. So that's kind of how I got into cybersecurity. So there was like a bunch of peaks and valleys throughout the um, way for that. One of the really big turning points was when I did the ReliCast bootcamp at USF. Okay. So that was like um, the first bootcamp ReliQuest did. ReliQuest is like an MSMP provider. Um, they're based out of Tampa, Florida. So they're official partners with like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Boston Celtics. Um, yeah. So they service like a bunch of Fortune, Fortune 1000 companies. So that bootcamp was like the hardest thing I've ever done before to, towards that point. Like that first week between like work, school, and the bootcamp, I did like 100 hours. So I was in the school library. Every day it's like midnight, even on Sunday when there was nobody there. It was really creepy. It was like that parking lot was empty. Um, it was super, super creepy. 
Um, so that was one of the biggest things for me. Because it was hell, I'm not going to lie. It was insanely hard. So I still have, like, lifelong friends, like, to this day because of that boot camp. Um, so I did the boot camp, right? And once you finish the boot camp, they could do an interview with you, right? So I did, like, I think it was, like, five rounds of interviews for internship, which I thought was super hard. Um, and then, like, they told me, I think, like, the day after Thanksgiving, I, I, I didn't get the position. Oh. And I was... Super pissed. I'm not gonna. I'm not oh, gonna front. Man. I was super, super. After upset five rounds until, of interviews. Yeah, it was. I was very upset because for me, like, it was that they were taking away something that I know I've earned. Right. I could. I could do the job. I was smart enough. I was passionate enough. And I felt they were. They were withholding something that I know I earned and that I bust my ass for. So it ate at me for like months because all because all my other friends got it in and they're making like double what I'm making. They're talking about all the cybersecurity topics. They got these nice poles. I'm like, damn it. I'm like, this should have been me. <laughs> so it, it ate at me for months because I didn't get that position. But for me, it's like, can if you did everything you could, you could do, you trust in God, you know you, you can get in the right place. So I just kept on working and working. And then Publix called me um, like five months after that, and I got the job at Publix. And so wow. that's kind of how I got inside of cybersecurity. That, that's a very good story. And, the, and there's uh, a couple underlying themes there, Kenneth. You know, one of perseverance right? You, you weren't one to give up uh, in that entire journey. Uh, the, the other theme there is that you're very proactive. You saw an opportunity and you took advantage of it. You wanted to be a part of something and, and you let other people know. Uh, those, are, I think, are uh, general life lessons that, that could apply to anyone that's trying to do a career in anything, right? They that's a good model to follow. And you manufactured your own luck in the sense. So hats off to you, man. Thank you. Um, yeah, just putting yourself out there is like the biggest thing, honestly. First, you're going to probably feel stupid or feel <laughs> awkward. And that was a lot. That, that was a lot of reasons why I didn't do a lot of things in my, when I was younger. Because I was afraid of what people were going to think about me. When people don't really, I guess I don't know if it's good or bad. When people don't really care about you, right? They're more focused on themselves. So once I figured that out, just kind of like, worst that happens that I fail, and the best thing that happens to me is that I succeed, and I'm here right now, so I think I've done pretty well. Yeah, no, th that's great. So let's let's talk about another. Um, we know how you got into cyber now, but why be an analyst and not a threat hunter? That seems to be uh, everyone. A lot of people. I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people want to be ethical hackers or threat hunters when they. First, think about cybersecurity. Shed some light on this. So I actually did some threat hunting when I was back at Publix as an intern. Um, okay. So I did one of my one of my things was like the best jobs admin tool for Windows. So okay. I worked with like a penetration penetration testing team to try to build some detection rules for that. That was super cool. It was like incredibly hard, um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I would probably say that normally um those require like more advanced skills so it's very hard to get like straight out of college those jobs it's definitely possible it's doable right um but if you don't get that position you're not stupid right you're still a good cybersecurity person you just may need to take another position um and because everyone wants to do the positions right because i'm glamorized like in society right um the bar to entry is super high so take on the role like either a blue team analyst or a grc analyst or something like that 
um, your entry level will probably be a little bit lower and maybe easier to get your foot in the door, which is all you really want, right? Once you're inside that door, you can easily pivot to wherever you want to do. Um, so that's one piece of I should try to get my students as well. And, you know, that is a, a critical piece of advice. Uh, you you have to land somewhere and then look at pivoting. Uh, if you're aiming for something and you just don't get it right away, you shouldn't be discouraged. Find a path. Carve your own path to it. Uh, and that's you're exactly right. That's a that's a lesson that's really not taught a lot of times, but it's a very valuable one. Right now, you you've become an expert in sim and soar platforms. You you know them inside out. So one one thing that I'd like you to enlighten us about is a sim versus a log management system. Are they the same things? No, they're not. Um... So specifically, a SIM is a security information event management system, right? That is meant right. for security events only. If you try to use a SIM as a log management platform, you're going to have a lot of issues. So like Splunk Enterprise is a log management platform, data, data aggregation log management platform, like data to everything. Then Splunk has Splunk Enterprise Security. That is a SIM platform. That is specifically made for um, security events, right? There's like correlation rules, the detection rules, you can build up specifically for that. Again, now, oh, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, um, I was just gonna say like, one you can use for like BI, observability, DevOps, that's fine, right? And then a SIM is specifically cybersecurity tools. So think of QRadar, um, think of um, Splunk Enterprise Security, those are SIM tools, right? And then Elastic as well, they think they have a SIM component. Um, so there's a couple notes for from it, but but Elastic can also be an analytics engine. Tableau is there a reason why we couldn't use Tableau to, to accomplish some of these things? It, so I'm just, I'm... <laughs> I would I would say um, that's like one of the examples I use is like if you if you're trying to use your Honda Civic to like tow like a tractor trailer, I guess technically you can do it. It's not probably going to be the best or most comfortable ride, but I guess technically it can get the job done um, by what an advisor, right? So you can use Tableau to do that. Um, it's just going to be like a whole mess. So I would highly suggest if your organization has the money to invest in the actual SIM solution, just open source ones as well. If you don't, if you're not, your company isn't like Apple or Google, um, but trying to use like a data lake or a Tableau, like a BI tool, or Power BI as a SIM platform is a big mistake in my opinion. Well, it's been tried multiple times. And I'm sure it'll be tried again. <laughs> Unless someone listens. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. Uh, they, they are two different animals altogether. Now, do you have to have a log management platform to have a real good SIM operation going in the sock so it depends on what platform you use um if you want to have like for example like splunk enterprise security you have to have splunk enterprise because splunk enterprise security sits on top of splunk enterprise right it's like a premium app yeah um so that's one thing i think like q radar you have to have some q radar i think you can get straight out of the box um if i'm correct now elastic oh, yeah. i think elastic is like the same thing i think you have to have like the base elastic um, Kibana, SAC, to where you can get like the, the security tools integrated inside of it. Um, so normally, um, I would say probably um, because you normally want to get like a baseline of, of your environment before you try to 
like take the security tool to from the next level. Um, one of the things I've always seen, I've tried to tell my different clients is that um, you need a baseline of what you're doing, right? Because if you know if you don't know where you're at, how can you know where, where you're gonna go? And so they try to like ingest everything like under the sun, and then like, well, why isn't it working? And I'm like, you're ingesting terabytes of data, right? Your system's designed for that. Um, well, but so, you know what? The vendors are telling them to ingest everything. I can't tell you the number of sales reps out there that are saying, we'll take in all your logs. I wonder why. I mean, they're not like incentivized to get more money with the more you ingest, right? Of course not. That wouldn't be the case. No. Would that be? I don't know. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, uh, and, and it gets really expensive if you start doing that as well. I mean, compute costs get expensive. Storage gets exponentially expensive, you know, when you're not storing grandma's pictures and you're putting terabytes and terabytes of data in hot storage, that's going to cost money. It's going to cost a lot of money. And then you also have to get, get from the compliance perspective, right? The more data you can store, the more type of data you store, the type of different types of compliance rules you're going to have to comply with, right? So maybe putting it in one country, storing it in there. Put in a certain bucket, right? That's even more dollars as well, right? Um, well, it's very expensive. But there's a lot of that going on out there where people are saying that, give us all your logs. Give us everything. And I, again, like going back towards what, what, first off, like, so what do you actually consider like security data, right? You need to have like some type of documentation inside your organization that states, hey, these type of logs, if they meet these criteria, this is security data. If it doesn't, then this is IT, is IT operations, DevOps, observability, whatever it is, right? And that needs to go either it's like a data lake or some type of log management solution where we don't have to search it like in real time, right? Or put in a hot bucket, right? Um, so that's why getting a baseline of what's happening in your environment is very important. Because if not, you're just gonna try to ingest everything. And then when you get the bill, it's like tens of millions of dollars, you're like, well, what happened? I'm like, is there documentation for it? Well, I mean, the um the lead engineer said to do this right okay is it written down somewhere so what so what happens if he leaves he gets a better job at Google or something like that right it always all and always gonna go with them is just is parts documented probably not because that's normally what I see um but that's what I try to tell people right students clients doesn't matter random people my parents it doesn't matter right um whoever will listen and half of the time they won't but it's just me well. So, you know, the thought that you should have a good strategy before you deploy a technology shouldn't be foreign to anyone, but it sure sounds like it may be uh, based on some of the things that you've, <laughs> that you're seeing. And it's true. I mean, I'm being a little sarcastic there, but uh, <laughs> 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 it, it, it is, it, it just is. Where do you, what's the role of SOAR? Uh, enlighten our listeners on on that. Where does SOAR fit into the SIM picture? So SOAR normally will sit on top of like a SIM platform. So think of like a Splunk Enterprise, Splunk Enterprise yep. Security, the SIM. And then you have Splunk Phantom, or like now they call it Splunk SOAR because security reports are very uncreative people. Um, <laughs> it is. Everyone is renamed or stuff to like SOAR. So now now it's not um the Misto, it's Palo Alto SOAR. It's not I'm resilient, it's IBM SOAR. I'm like, wow, really creative. But anyways, um, like a SOAR platform is designed for like more of the response process, like instant response process, right? And SOAR, for those of you who don't know, stands for Security Orchestration Automation Response. Um, so normally you will have an event, an alert, and an incident. An event is something that happens, right? 
a log if generated. Yep. It could be good. It could be good. It could be bad. You don't know. It's just an event. An alert is something that may be potentially maybe something bad, right? More more work more more work needs to be done to look at it. An incident is oh something is actually going wrong. Something is actually bad. Once that rises towards like an incident, right? Um, then they normally then you should have like a sword platform, right? That you get sent to. And the sword platform can like automate that response, right? They'll have workflow actions. Uh, you have playbooks that you can run to try to automate that response, and you can have like human eyes put in on different processes depending on what it is, right? You can customize it as much as you want, or you can keep it generic, just like uh, things straight out of the box or things that are mm-hmm. common throughout all industries. Um, so if you want the analyst to take a look at it at the last step before it gets um, solved, then you can do that, right? Or you can just have it completely automized. It's up to you, right? So think of it as you have Smuck Enterprise. That's, a, that's that event. Something gets triggered, then it goes to Smuck Enterprise Security. That's an alert. And something gets triggered again as an incident, then it gets fired to Splunk Phantom in this case, right? And that yep. turns into an incident. And then your, your incident response team um, will take a look at it through the SOAR platform. Where do you see AI evolving in this SimSOAR junction? So I think AI can take a lot of the repetitive tasks, which I think is good, right? Because human beings, you make them do something over and over again that's really repetitive and boring. They're going to make mistakes, right? Just how humans are. Well, and you know what? There's been several studies. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. There's actually been several studies done. There is a real thing as fatigue in the sock. Analyst fatigue is, is real. And it's for all the reasons you just mentioned, right? In fact... Do you advise your clients to, how do you deal with that? Because you're right. If it's repetitive, it's going to be boring at some point. You're going to make a mistake. Yeah. So at my old firm, um, they, they they put me on a SOAR platform. That's my first time ever touching it, really. Because when I was at public, SOAR wasn't a real thing, really. It was kind of like a, this product set of tools. But like back in 2019, 2020, it actually came like an official thing, really. Um, so like... 2020, when I first started touching sword tools back at DTCC, um, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, I was like, can I go figure this out? Um, that was, that's where I met IBM. God have mercy on me. Um, <laughs> so that was an interesting process. I was told I need. we were trying to like automate some processes. Suddenly, I was supposed to take um, like a couple hours, took like five months to get figured out. Um, so that was that. Um, but with like... But like with like automating things and sort, you're using AI. Um, trying to take the repetitive tasks is super important. I always think there's still gonna be like the human element, right? Because AI is built by flawed people like us, right? So the algorithms um, aren't always perfect. So there's always gonna be like some type of vulnerability. You don't of say, it. really? Uh, <laughs> magic, right? What people think it's the same thing with like crypto, blockchain, the cloud, everyone thinks they, it's like Thanos, he has his infinity gone, he snaps his fingers and everything gets fixed. That's not how it works, right? There's always going to be vulnerabilities because humans have, it's a human tool that humans have made. Um, oh, man, I love that. So, yeah, um, so there's always going to be the human element, no matter what, in my opinion. Um, yeah. A lot of, like, the boring stuff that people shouldn't be doing in the first place will probably be removed, right? So a lot of, like, the spam monitoring, which is what something I did back at Publix, um, which even though that was my first like security thing, so I thought it was like the most amazing thing ever, right? 
Um, but I can see how like a senior analyst will get bored with that. He misses a couple emails towards the executive, then the executive gets fish, then it's all over the news, right? Then everyone's sad, everyone gets fired, or both. Um, yeah. So, like, automating out that and fixing those processes, I think AI will help a lot with that. Well, you know, um, there's some companies out there that are offering a managed service that is not, and th- and their names, I'm not going to mention them, but they're, they're names that you know for sure, Kenneth, uh, the big organizations, where they're saying, if at a much, much cheaper cost, we'll offer you a SIM with an AI analyst on top. So no human's going to look at it, right? And now the perception, and, I, and I've seen it, is that, well, we really don't need the human. Um, the technology is just, our, you're writing correlation rules and it's already doing that algorithmically. And then you have pattern recognition going on with AI it's, and, and we have it connected to playbooks and SOAR. The entire chain can be automated and what, so, and it's cheaper. So we think that's 100% secure. I mean, like, it depends what your environment is, like how large, how large, how large is the organization, right? If you're like, again, like Google or Apple or Amazon, Right, you're gonna to have to have some type of human element inside of it, right? Because like automating all of that, all of your logs, all of the endpoints, like a trillion dollar company, I don't think that's like really realistic, right? Um, because a load that's gonna be in a system for that, whatever tool that is, I don't yep. think that's realistic in any case, shape or fashion. Um, and then for those again, like they they automate like the very basic stuff. So like a lot of all the new advanced stuff that hasn't been found yet in anybody's environment. That tool is not going to recognize that, right? So it's going to go under the radar. And then when there's no, since there's no human is there, no one's going to notice inside the environment, right? And it's just going to keep oh, running yeah. and running. That's why they're called zero days, unknown unknowns. And then nine months later, when you're wondering, hey, what's wrong with our systems? They're not working properly. It's Black Friday. We're losing millions of dollars. What's going on? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I can't ask anybody because everyone's just a robot. You know, I, I'm glad that, that you're offering some common sense commentary on that. Because, um, again, you know, we try. Uh, yes, we're being a little sarcastic here. But at the same time, there's a seriousness to it that people just buyer beware, you know, understand, always investigate something before committing to it and understand, if not in depth, at least at the fundamental level, what you're buying and what some of the consequences of that can potentially be. And it might work for your environment. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to be one to argue that, but one should be cognizant. You know, you touched a little bit uh, about open source, uh, not because Splunk, you know, Splunk, very expensive. Curator can be very expensive. Uh, and it sounds like you, you probably didn't have such a good experience with it. But um, what about open source? Is it legit? For the application. So the way I like to look at it, nothing's ever free. Um, there's always some type of cost associated with it, either upfront or later. Um, like like with anything in life. So with open source, the upfront cost is normally um, a lot cheaper, right? Because one of the big things you pay with a lot of these vendors is um, the actual um, help, right? The support. So when you have open source, like op- open source Ubuntu, right? You yeah. manage all of that, right? And if something doesn't go wrong, it's very expensive to get help from them, right? Yeah. Um, so you may it may be significantly cheaper up front, but when something goes wrong, and something will always go wrong, this is, this is IT, this is tech, that's just how it's been. Um, 
you're going to have to pay a lot of money to get it fixed, right? So you need to you need to figure out as an organization, are we willing to hire our own our own basically support staff? Like I have a super large one, or do you want to pay Splunk, Elastic, whoever the upfront costs to manage that, right? So it's just it's just a give and take, and what what your preference is as a, as an organization. What are some common mistakes that people are making when they implement Sims that you have seen over and over again? That um, they them? buy it and they don't and they don't know what they buy, what they bought, or understand what oh. they bought, or they have or they already have another tool that does the same exact thing. So they buy a Lamborghini and like, oh wait a second, I had a Lam- I had another Ferrari inside the garage. I didn't realize that. Ah, who cares? We got money. It amazes me that that, um, that that no one scrutinizes that or no one checked it, and that can actually take place. Yeah, I've I've seen organizations that have had they bought like a sim platform. It's like in the box in the ground, and they're like, "What's like? When do we buy this? <laughs> Wait, why isn't it installed? Oh, because we don't know how to do it. Yeah, well, we'll install later. And you'll spend tens of millions of dollars on it. Um, so. Again, having a strategy, having a plan before you do something. Um, you don't build a, you don't build a house just off of a whim, right? Um, so having a plan of what you want to do, why you want to do it, the cost for it, make sure you have the right people to do it. Very important, right? Um, and then understanding what's it, once it's installed, if you get towards that point, hopefully, um, being able to actually properly run and manage it and tune it when needed. Let's let's go down that path of tuning. Can you ever be done tuning a sim? Can you ever be done like tuning your car, right? No. Not really. Same thing. There's it's always a maintenance, maintenance task. Yeah, it's always going to be maintenance. It's always something that needs to be fixed, tuned, modified, upgraded, right? Um, it's just like anything in life. It's like your body, right? You don't work out one day and you're like, oh, never again. I'm done for the rest of my life. Um, so it's a constant, it's a constant update, making sure it runs properly. Make sure people are trained with it, making sure that's the right updates, making sure, um, yeah, updates, making sure people are trained. Those are some of the things. Yeah, it's, um, I and I specifically focused on that because the, there's a notion there that we've got it implemented and we're done at, at the higher levels. I know the practitioners don't believe that. But people need to understand exactly what they bought, as you alluded to earlier. And there is an expense. There's an ongoing maintenance with that. And it's not something that you can just brush off and say, ah, we'll get it implemented. And then I got one guy that's going to be the analyst, the tuner, and, you know, the grand poobah, the sore administrator of it all. You know, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. No. It really doesn't. It doesn't work that way. And I wonder why the people quit. Like, I don't understand. Why did Johnny quit? We made him do 10 people's jobs. I, I don't get it. <laughs> well, because you, you made him do 10 different jobs, and, and he's probably not getting paid for it, so he's not probably happy with that scenario. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit and get to uh, your academy. So when we look at the Ellington Cyber Academy, what is your core mission there? What are you guys about? So the biggest thing um, ECA likes to do um, is trying to get normally people of color into side cybersecurity, specifically for SIM and SOAR. People, people often ask me, hey, Kenneth, why don't you teach ethical hacking and penetration testing? Because I don't like those things, right? 
I, I don't want to do a job for one week and write a, um, a dissertation on it, right? That doesn't interest me. So that's why I don't teach ethical hacking or penetration testing, because I don't like it myself, right? I don't want to teach you something that I'm not passionate about, because you're going to be able to tell, tell from that. So SEM and SOAR is the two specific things that um, our academy focuses on. Um, one, one of the reasons is I personally have not seen a lot of people that look like me in this field, so I'm trying to bridge that gap, right? Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of people when I was learning, talking about this, working with this. So I thought that was an area that I could excel in. Um, and then going back to, towards um, earlier in the show about how I don't think a lot of people are good teachers. Um, a lot of people have bad experiences with teaching, right? Which may affect them getting the side cybersecurity. And so we try to be, um, try to do something that's simple or it's a complicated simple, right? Just having good material, being honest, being empathetic with students, being there if they need us, just so simple things. Now, just playing devil's advocate, when we look at other online learning platforms, and I won't mention them here, but there's a whole plethora of them out there, right? How does ECA differentiate from that? Because those are guys are going to make the same claim. They're, they're going to say, you know, we've got a good platform. We've got a lot of structure. It's self-paced. A student can learn. Um, and we're not uber expensive. So for me, um, I'm a big component in believing you pay, you get what you pay for. Excuse me. So one of the things we try to differentiate ourselves is we try to bring in hiring managers and recruiters from actual companies, right? Um, we're not a college, so I'm not going to charge you $20,000 for that. Um, it's pretty affordable. And so actually going back towards the presenting thing, presenting in front of actual people that want to hire you if you do well um, with these assignments, these capstones. Right. Um, I'm I don't work for Elastic. I don't work for Splunk. I don't work for IBM. Right. So I'm not a salesperson. But I think this platform is crap. I'm going to let you know and be very honest with you. If I think it's good, then we'll put it inside our program and use it. So that transparency, I think, is incredibly important. Um, and we've gotten three people hired this past six months. So one works at VMware, one, one works at Samsung, and one works at GM Motors now. Um, wow, so just, fantastic. Thank you. Um, very proud of them. They busted their behinds to get to where they are. So we're just proud to be a small part in their success stories. And how many students uh, have you uh, put through the program or are currently enrolled right now? So currently enrolled, um, we're on our second cohort. We have about five students. Um, some are repeaters because they loved it so much. They want to take it again. Um, so we have about four new students. Um, I'm in the process of their next, their last capstone is in about two weeks. And then we'll be, we'll be starting the, their interview and resume prep process um, this winter. So we can try to get them hired uh, in the next couple of months. Um, so our next cohort will be in January. And my apprentice, who I brought on, um, I'm so proud of her. Courtney Wright, she's an awesome young lady. She's been killing it for the past like four months with me. So she can actually be leading the next cohort. I, again, I'm very a big component of putting people in positions for, to where they can be successful, right? So I've taught her everything that I know about Swank and Sim, and now I want her to teach it and give back towards the community. That that uh, that's fantastic, and and is she doing this full time? Um, she's doing this uh, part time. So she is a service technician at Apex. Um, okay. so we've been trying to get her cybersecurity position over the past month because she finishes up her bachelor's degree. I believe this semester, actually. So this month, if I'm correct. Oh, wow. That, that's, uh, 
That's admirable work. And Kenneth, did you put together the curriculum for at ECA? Is that all you're doing? Yes. So there are free work. There are free um, links and like free documents. But like the scenarios, the videos are all mine. So I built that from scratch. Just so our listeners understand, in terms of costs, is this something like they're going to have to take out a car loan type of situation no. for? No. Um, the most expensive one we have right now is about sixteen fifty. That's about for eight weeks. You get interview prep, resume prep as well, resume revamp as well, LinkedIn revamp. Um, you get put in front of hiring managers. You get lifetime access towards our Slack channel. And you get put inside of our, our recruitment portal as well. So I think that's a pretty fair price compared if you go to other vendors. I won't name them, but you know who they are. Oh, there's vendors out there that you'd be paying five or eight thousand dollars for your introductory classes, right? And yeah. So trying to keep it pretty affordable. Um, so I, I'm probably I'm not ever going to probably write, write, put it above like five thousand dollars, honestly. And that would be like down the line, but for now, I'm trying to keep it as affordable as possible so people can get inside cybersecurity. How do you see your uh, How do you see ECA evolving in the future? Uh, what's your vision for it five years out? Five years out, or three long. years out. How about three. that? Five is too long. Yeah. So even three might be long, but I'll say this: over the next like year, I'm trying to build more business to business. So get build more partnerships, so our students can have direct pipeline to companies. That and then um, starting to do more training for companies, right? So taking over their training programs and offering what we have for them to replace that, right? I know it can be kind of expensive for companies and it takes a lot of time and effort for it. Yeah, um, I was going to, in fact, ask I've, what's the response been like from the corporate side towards that? It's been a mixed bag so far. Um, I think a lot of companies still want to see what we can do, get more students hired. So just... I've been chugging away um, as much as I can to try to help my students out and just try to prove the concept of, hey, we can actually train good cybersecurity professionals here, right? Um, so once that um, process keeps growing, which it will, I have faith in that, um, it'll be a lot easier to actually pitch that towards businesses. And I mean, we've I've gotten three students hired like Fortune 100 companies in the past like, couple months, so um, that- I have faith in what I'm doing. Have you considered maybe looking at federal grants where you could do um, training like this for even high school students who are deeply interested in this topic and and they could learn this as a vocation getting out? That that has been one of my um, ideas as well. That and I work with the VA to see if I can get a government grant for that as well. So I'm in the process of trying to do my research for that. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I don't know directly, but I think the Department of Education or HUD even, you know, has some things out there for these uh, types of programs that would help people advance out of their current station in life, if you will, to a much better role. And I think that would be a huge benefit, I, you know, um, where there's a structured program that is taught in a way that people will grasp and they'll be able to complete and they'll get the soft skills. Uh, that's what makes people hireable. I agree. And I know college, like a four-year college degree, isn't for everyone. For numerous reasons, biggest thing probably being cost, right? Yeah. Uh, it, I don't, for me, it's never made sense to spend $80,000 to get a job that pays you like 35 k right? Um, so if I can be a more affordable way for people to get 
towards their end goals and i'll happy be happy to take that place oh that's great work that you're doing kenneth um i'm sure everybody appreciates that then uh we're hoping you have great success with that that's that's good stuff you know we're at uh the hour here i i wanted to uh ask you is there anything that you'd like to plug anything that you're going to be doing any appearances you're going to be having any you're involved with anything you'd like to plug it's your floor well if you'd like our audience to know about anything um i would say being a lookout every next couple of months we're going to be doing a couple of free workshops um so going back to some of the things i talked about in the show like understanding what to log inside your environment why it's important and how to do it i would say is probably one of the things you're going to be um stressing using in this framework because that's one of the most popular frameworks out there, especially for IT and cybersecurity. So we'll be doing yep. a couple of free workshops over the next couple of months with that. Yeah. And if you can, uh, when that happens, let us know about it. And we'll uh, we'll let people know on social media. Oh, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Well. You know, get the word out. Well, Kenneth, I we really appreciate you taking the time. It was an honor to have you here. Uh, appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, and, you know, keep us updated on what's going on. Definitely will. It's been such a pleasure to get to speak to you guys. Well, then with that, you know, have a good holiday season and uh, take care. Look forward to talking next time.